you ever thrown you a curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that someone is me and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who've been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney Travato, and this is the Living Your Legacy podcast. Hello, everybody. Michelle Slaney Travato here. I want to take a moment to welcome you to another episode of the Living Your Legacy show. On this show, we interview legacy makers and the professionals who support them. And today, I'm so blessed to have a woman who actually falls into both categories. She is herself a legacy maker in her own life and for the people she works with. Of course, she is someone who provides support to legacy makers in their own right as they figure out where they want to strive and be successful in their lives. And it's an interesting twist on a theme today that is, of course, near and dear to both of our hearts. So let me introduce you to our guest. Today, we are speaking with Michelle Merkman. She is the CEO and ND Coach, Inc. Now, let's talk about that. Michelle is a daughter, a wife, and a mother. I've seen pictures of her little one. So cute. She is a hardworking manager and entrepreneur and a volunteer leader. Michelle loves the great outdoors, hiking, camping, and yoga. And when she's not working, she's trying to change the stigma around autism and neurodiversity. And this is how she coaches people. She manages and connects with others in an extraordinary way. And today she's here to shine a light on a whole bunch of those topics um, for all of us so that we can all learn and grow. Michelle's passion is empowering other neurodivergent people to lead full, successful lives and make their dreams come true despite all the obstacles. And I absolutely love that. Of course, that is near and dear to my own heart, having a child who is neurodivergent himself and looking at how we can make the world better for quite literally everyone. So, Michelle, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm delighted to be here. So Michelle and I met in a pre-interview and we had this amazing conversation about life and her journey. And so I want to get Michelle to start telling us about that. So let's start with this question. Michelle, when you were in grade four and the teacher asked you what you wanted to be when you grow up, what was your answer? And did you do that? So kind of a funny story behind that. I've always been a multi-passionate individual. I've always had a variety of interests and things that I love to do. And so at about that age, I wanted to either be a professional ballerina, a marine biologist studying orcas uh, in Canada, or a gymnast. So I didn't quite end up in any of those fields. I think the underlying theme in that is that I enjoy being in the spotlight and I enjoy brightening other people's lives. And so in a way, I did end up in something similar as a coach. That's what I do. I put myself in the spotlight to bring awareness to neurodiversity and to help other people who have a similar brain or similar way of thinking and processing as I do. Amazing. So, Michelle, you've alluded to that, but I'd like to just step back a little bit and get you to tell your story, um, because it was really interesting to me about your experience. You have a brother who is, he has some challenges in his life. And so could you speak into that a little bit and talk about your experience and figuring out what was going on for you? Yeah, absolutely. 
So growing up, I had a brother who was diagnosed at a young age with autism and ADHD. And at the time, I was sort of the, the normal child. I didn't have any diagnoses, um, but he did. And I grew up with sort of an understanding of what those things were, sort of the very stereotypical understanding. So, you know, a lot of excess energy with ADHD and um, autism is having very specific focused interests and you know, he loved Legos growing up. So I just sort of thought, okay, all autistic people have specific focused interests and their boys and um, all ADHD people have trouble controlling their energy. And so it was an interesting way to grow up thinking that. And then in college, I was using disability services myself. Um, well, I guess we rewind a little bit. I went, I was unschooled. So my brother and I were both homeschooled in a capacity called unschooling. And in high school, I decided that it would be really fun to go to school. So I went to school and I had this experience where I showed up as completely myself. And by sophomore year, my entire high school shunned me. So obviously myself was not acceptable, right? Hmm. But I didn't know why. I'd never had that kind of educational experience with other students. So I didn't know what I was doing wrong. So I'd always known that there was something a little different about me, didn't really know what it was, didn't have any diagnosis. When I was in college and I was using the disability services for extra time on tests and a private testing space, I was informed that I had to go through testing. So I went through the testing and I was diagnosed as autistic myself at 27. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I am not stereotypically autistic. So there's no way. So I kind of threw the diagnosis out the window. And it was a couple of years before I really took the time to start learning about it and researching it and understanding that it really is a spectrum and it can mm -hmm. present in so many different ways. And that's part of my passion is educating other people on, you know, the whole spectrum of neurodiversity and how different it really can be. Absolutely. And I love that you talked about growing up how you saw things from a very stereotypical perspective, which is not unusual. If people are just scratching the surface of a diagnosis or hear a term like autism or ADHD, it does bring to mind stereotypical stuff or that kid down the street who behaved in a particular way. And, oh, that must be what it is. And so we look to put people in boxes very quickly and say, that's what this thing means. And so when I see that, I know what it is. But the reality is almost every diagnosis has very individual effects because one person is not the same as another. They have different home lives, different uh, biology. There's so many factors that go into what's going on and how that particular diagnosis impacts that person. So it's, I'm really glad you said that because it does bring up a point that is that assumption stuff that we all tend to make, right? Or, or we tend to overdiagnose. At one time, everybody and their dog had ADHD. Everybody was assuming that was the thing because it was the buzzword. It was the word people heard and kind of had a sense of what that could be. And so they just sort of figured they fell into that category. Um, and now autism is becoming more prevalent in terms of being people being made more aware of it. So it's become a new thing, but people still don't understand that it is a continuum from impacting someone quite severely to very mild impact. Um, so I love that you address that yourself, that even in your own home with a sibling diagnosed with autism and ADHD, that you still sort of thought, okay, well, if this is what I'm seeing, this must be what it is. And then discovering that later in life, you had it. And I also like that you said, and I, again, I'm very much valuing your honesty, that you threw out the diagnosis because you thought this can't apply to me. I don't have those things. So that can't be me. Um, and I think that there's also an element of that in society that when people hear that they have a diagnosis or the term disability or the term handicap, any of those things, it becomes something that people 
become afraid of, that I don't want to be seen as different or less than. And so I'm going to hide this or reject it because I don't want the world to see me that way. Um, So thank you for sharing that. I really value your honesty there because I think it's important for the world to address our own feelings about this and our own thought processes on it. And certainly as a parent, I have been totally guilty of catching myself, assuming that my son can do less because he has diagnoses and reminding myself that I actually disable him by assuming that because I don't allow him to struggle and stretch and grow and shine and achieve his potential. And that's that's very powerful when I think about that, that I have the ability based on, on my own assumptions, how I see him, how I engage with him to either enable him to grow or enable him to be further disabled. That's very powerful. And thank you for addressing that because it gives us a chance to have a check yourself moment and really stop and think about that. So I appreciate that you did that. So now tell me about life in college. You were going through college and you were on a particular path. What were you studying and where did you go with it? Yeah, so I took a little bit longer than your average person to complete my my uh, prerequisites to go to a university. So I spent quite a while at uh, various junior colleges. I went to a couple different ones, changed my major so many times. I loved science, was really challenged by math, um, and later got a dyscalculia diagnosis. Um, and it finally landed on psychology. I've always been a people person. I love people. I love to work with people. I want to understand how people think. And, you know, I was in part, I was searching for what the separation was between me and everyone else, Mm -hmm. because I always or almost always found that I struggled to connect with other people. And while I would try, there was always some sort of like a veil between us Mm -hmm. or some separation, some distance. And I just felt like I couldn't really truly connect with other people. And so part of me was searching for what the difference was, you know, what was it about me that was different? And part of it was I wanted to understand how other people thought so that I could bridge the gap and connect better with them. Mm -hmm. So I was studying psychology and I majored in psychology and social behavior um, had the opportunity to work with ADHD children in a study while I was at university assessing the benefits of therapy animals in lieu of medication to improve pro-social behavior. So that was a really amazing experience. Mm-hmm. I bet it was. And I bet the results were really interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very so- positive. Yeah, I was going to say there's so much positive um, research coming out about the benefits of pets and animals on people's mental health, on their heart rate, blood pressure, like all kinds of research Mm -hmm. on that and how um, calming a pet can be for people who struggle with self-regulation. Yeah, I bet that was really a cool thing. And I, again, I value that you were seeking answers to why this struggle for connection was happening and how you could maybe improve that or at least understand it better so that you could relate to people better or alternatively that they could relate to you better um, and understand you. Um, And so tell us what happened next. Like what happened after that? Graduated, then what? Yeah, so I graduated from UCI and um, I was, I thought that it would be really easy to get a job after I graduated college. I thought, this is great. I've got a degree now. I've worked so hard towards this. And I was unemployed for about nine months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after about nine months of applying for five jobs a week and just really trying to find a job online, I started talking to my network. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started realizing maybe there's something to the network thing. So I talked to one of my close friends 
And I asked her if there was any way she would write me a recommendation for the organization that she worked at, if she thought she could potentially help me to get an interview there. She worked in management at this organization. Mm-hmm. And that was how I got my first really good career position was through my network. And that's something that I teach to my clients now is how to use and leverage your network to get you accesses to resources and to job openings that you wouldn't necessarily have access to. Mm-hmm. Because so many of us neurodivergent individuals either lack a network or don't understand how to use the network mm-hmm. in order to get the resources that you know neurotypical or neuronormative people just automatically know are available and utilize all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked at this company for a few years. I really struggled with getting a promotion. I was applying to other jobs and I just sort of felt stuck. So that's when I hired a coach. And after hiring a coach in a very short period of time, I was able to obtain a management position, double my income, mm-hmm. and just really change my whole outlook on life and on my abilities and you know my direction where I was going. And that's what I've found consistently over and over is that working with a coach really can help you get past the blocks that you have in your life. Mm-hmm. And it can help you to gain the skills that you have skill where there are skill gaps so that you have the ability to say, break into management or obtain a position that pays a living wage or whatever it may be that it is that you want to do. Really extraordinary. And I want to circle back to your conversation about networks. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually think lots of people struggle with the idea of a network and how to create it, how to function within your network, how to be able to tap into it when you have a need. So could you speak to that a little bit? What was some of the things that, that you learned about having a network and then working with it? Yeah, absolutely. Networks, I think, are kind of a confusing concept because we have social media so readily available. Our networks are at our fingertips. But at the same time, just because we have this network available doesn't mean we know how to use utilize it. Correct. We don't necessarily know how to reach out to someone in our network when we need something or how to offer service to someone else so that we've already sort of filled up their tank. So when we ask for something, they're ready to help us as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And really a big part of having a strong internal network or a strong core network is forming key friendships. And that's having friendships with people whose lives you would like to emulate or you would like to rise to, or you would like to, you know, somehow work in a similar position that they're working in. Mm By creating these relationships with these key people in your life that are already doing what you want to do, you know, there's a saying that you're, you're like the five people you spend the most time with. And it's really true Mm -hmm. because you will end up becoming like those people. So you really need to choose the people that you want in your network um, to be people that have careers that you're interested in and um, success that you're proud of so that you can also rise with your network. Always amazing and absolutely true. Having people that are kind of ahead of you in the life that they're leading in terms of maybe the things that you want to achieve in your own life gives you the ability to tap into how they got there. How did you get there? What did you do? How, what was your processes? How, who did you speak to? Right. Those are great questions to ask people because often they're willing to share that information, particularly if you have a relationship. If you are a stranger and they're a social media influencer and you send them a DM, they probably get a thousand messages a day. So yours may not go answered, but someone who you know a little bit, maybe you've had a conversation with. You are engaged in their, maybe their posting or their lives. If they're local to you, you know a little bit about them. They know a little bit about you. 
it makes it easier to say, I would love to talk to you about this because I'm struggling here and I would love some advice. Generally speaking, people like to give advice. So when you're in that relationship already and you ask for it, you're much more likely to get it. Uh, But you're right. Not everybody understands that. There is certainly a push in the world today to take rather than give. I want to do this. You should just help me. And so understanding, and you alluded to this, that there is a give and take that we need to pour into people before we ask them to pour into us. Uh, Again, the example of a social media influencer who has no idea who you are and you're suddenly asking for their time, they get a lot of requests for their time. They're not likely to respond in a favorable way like you think they would or should. However, you know, the lady down the street who is doing something that you think is really interesting um, that you've seen and waved at and, you know, you can do little things and I'm, I'm, it doesn't have to be huge. Like if she's down the street, today's garbage day in my neighborhood. Well, what about piling up her bins and just laying them next to her door? Let her know you did it. That's a little drop in the, in the emotional bank account there where I'm saying, I see you and I care for you. Or I noticed you came home late. So I just moved your bins off the street because there's regulations here about how long you can have them on the street and, and you can get fined for that. And I, I wanted to make sure you weren't getting fined, you know, things along those lines where we think about how we can be of service to somebody else. And then when it comes time, you can say, you know, I'm actually quite amazed by your life and what you've accomplished. I would love to talk to you about it. Can I buy you a coffee or can I invite you over? Or can I take you to lunch or can we, you know, meet at a park and maybe go for a walk and we'll talk about it? There are so many different ways to approach it that aren't very threatening uh, to the person asking or the person receiving. But you're right. If you don't know how to do that, and if you approach it from the, I want something, you should just help me focus, you're much less likely to achieve it. And there are a lot of people in the world who don't understand that very well. Um, so I, I'm really glad that you said that. And you're, you, you're focusing in on those pieces because that's really important. So tell us about getting into your own coaching business. How did that all go? What was that like at the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. So as I was saying before, you know, relationships are really, I say they're the key to life. Relationships are everything. Um, so what I found from coaching was that it was just really helpful for me. And I started to realize that I have this interest in psychology, but I'm, I don't want to be a psychologist because I don't want the focus on pathology, Mm -hmm. but I do want to help people. I'm very passionate about helping others. And so I discovered that I was indeed neurodivergent. I had this autism diagnosis and, you know, it occurred to me that there's a disconnect between coaching and neurodiversity or autism, where when I was in coaching, there were times when I really wanted a little bit of mentoring. Mm-hmm. I felt really stuck. And this the style behind coaching is that you're asked a lot of provocative questions and you seek the answers within, which is wonderful. But sometimes if your brain works a little differently, you get stuck behind sort of a, a wall mm-hmm. and you need a little mentorship to pull you through that. So I created an or- a company um, where we use a combination of mentorship and coaching to help you discover the answers that you're seeking, but also to have a little more guidance in the direction that you want to go. I'm still going to help you set the goals that you want to achieve in an unbiased way, but I'm going to help you with a little extra handholding and a little extra guidance and a little extra support. And I understand where you've been because I've been there too. Thank you for being a part of the Living Your Legacy podcast community in 2022. We can honestly say 2023 is going to be an exciting year. We've got some new things going on that we'd like to share with you. The Living Your Legacy podcast is now offering advertising spots. We found many entrepreneurs spent lots of money on advertising last year, only to find that they weren't falling in front of their ideal audience. We'd love to help you get your message out. Let's discuss this. 
Click the link in the show notes to book a time to chat and see if this could be a good fit for you. That is really profound um, because it is hard to understand uh, what somebody else's life experiences could be if yours is not in a similar path. So, you know, when I when I talk about being a parent of a special needs child, um, I watch people's eyes glaze over when I get into all the details of the things that we do, because it's so far out of the realm of their experience that they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And that has been a challenge for me as well, trying to find a similar group of people so that when I have a question about like, how do I, for me, balance is hard. So when my son is home, he's very demanding. I can't really do some of the other things that I need to do or want to do. And so I have to find a balance in a different way, which for me means that things happen slower. They just, they just do. Um, I need to take more time because I have more responsibilities on the other side of things. And that can be a bit challenging for people to understand, particularly if you've not lived it. So your lived experience is such an asset because you can identify your own struggles. Like, yes, I understand this piece of the coaching, but I'm not really sure how to get there. I need someone to show me a little bit more directly how I could get there. And then Mm -hmm. once I see that and I understand it, okay, great. Now I can go back to this coaching piece and move on to the next step. So I love that in your business, you have adopted both pieces. There's some direct instruction where you're talking and mentoring people and saying, okay, I understand that that you're having some difficulty with this. Let's talk about how we can do this. And then we'll, we'll circle back over here to help you achieving those goals. Super important because people have neurodivergencies and they have those blocks. You're right. It is like hitting a bit of a wall and you're like, I don't even know how to, how do I work past this? Like, do I go around it? Do I tunnel underneath it? Do I just be like, and I'm giving up and that's the end of that. You know, like you don't, you're like, I I honestly don't know. And often people with neurodivergencies may be the only one in their family They may be the only one in their extended family. They may be the only one in their neighborhood that they know of, Um, right? So they may not have role models to be able to say, okay, so I'm stuck here. You seem to have been moved past this. Can you share with me how you did it? So they're stuck, right? Like, how do you figure it out? Uh, so I love that you build both pieces in to help people work successfully to achieve those goals. So talk to me a little bit about your clients. Who is an ideal client for you? Yeah, so my ideal client is a late diagnosed neurodivergent woman. All of my clients thus far have been diagnosed as autistic. Most of them have additional diagnoses such as ADHD, Mm -hmm. bipolar, other conditions like this. Um, They are high masking, low supports needs, high achieving. Many of them work in management. I have a few clients who are also entrepreneurs. Um, And there are some clients who are wanting to work in management and are just trying to figure out how to break into a management level position. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I help my clients to figure out their strengths, scaffold their weaknesses so they have the support in the areas that they struggle with, Mm -hmm. use their strengths um, to really help them move forward in work and life. And we work together to go through, you know, self-acceptance and self-love and, you know, really understanding what their own passions and interests are, mm-hmm. um, creating an ideal avatar, sort of a, a face to present to the world and understanding what masking is, what unmasking is, and how to use the mask as a unique superpower or a special tool that you can use when you need it. Um, wherever that might be, but that you can also take it off when you're with safe people or when you're by yourself to prevent burnout. And then we work on recognizing signs of burnout, preventing burnout, um, treating burnout that may have already started and how to come back from that. 
setting boundaries. I mean, I could go on and on, so I'll just leave it at that. But um, that's a little bit of my program. And that is very detailed. That's that's really quite extraordinary. I'd like to circle back to two terms you used that people may not necessarily be familiar with, but I think it's important. And this is whether you are neurotypical or neurodivergent may not be familiar with these terms because I'm hoping that this is this conversation is going to inspire some people to say, oh, that could be me or, oh, I didn't realize that I could do this or that. And then that's in the neurodivergent community. In the neurotypical community, we're going to get there. I want to look at dispelling some myths that might be holding the rest of us back. So the two terms I'd like you to just go into a little bit, and I know you could spend quite a long time on this, but what is masking? And then by extension, what is unmasking? Yeah, absolutely. So masking is the social social niceties that we put on in order to appear neurotypical or neuronormative and to make others feel comfortable. So that would be moderating our facial expressions when we are in a meeting or in front of someone else, moderating our body posture, mm -hmm. um, controlling our movements. So many of us like to stim, which is sort of to engage in some sort of repetitive movement, which can be calming. Rubbing your hands together can be a stim. Shaking your leg can be a stim. Clicking your pen. Um, that's part of how we self-soothe and to calm ourselves. But it's not really socially acceptable. So an example of masking would be controlling your body and making sure that you're not moving around other people, you know, making sure that your face has a pleasant expression on and you're not just, you know, blank faced staring at whoever you're talking to, because when you put on the mask, so to speak, you're going to make other people feel more comfortable. Now, unmasking is the flip side to this. This is really showing up completely authentically yourself. And this is the most important thing for neurodivergent, especially autistic people, in order to prevent burnout and to prevent suicide, because there's a strong correlation between masking, which is pretending to be neurotypical, mm -hmm. and suicide. Um, and I think that has to do with the amount of burnout that it leads to when you're constantly having to put on a show. And so masking is in a lot of ways like performing on a stage. You're constantly putting on a presentation to appear neurotypical. Mm -hmm. And while some of us are more skilled at this than others, or some of us choose to do it and some of us choose not to, I would say there's a certain amount of privilege in it as far as, you know, men, I think, can generally be more comfortable not masking because they have a certain amount of privilege. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing to talk about. Did I answer your question? You did. And of course, for me, that brought up a whole lot of other questions, which actually leads us into the next section that I did want to talk about. So if masking is, is controlling myself a little more, and doing things that make other people comfortable, the other people would be the neurotypical folks out there. So there's a definite, there's a definite issue there about why we must do that. And I think that that lends itself to a discussion about a lack of understanding uh, in the general population of what it means to be neurodivergent or to have a disability. Those things are generally seen, and of course, this harkens back to the medical model and all kinds of things, as being less than. It is a negative thing that there is a problem here. And if I don't have the problem, then it's up to you to make sure I'm okay. And I've certainly experienced that myself with my son. And, and that's given me pause for thought, too. Why must we do that? 
So let's talk a little bit about how we can grow understanding and acceptance in the larger community. And before we do that off camera, Michelle and I had a very brief conversation and, and I'm going to be very bold here and talk about a few things that are touchy subjects. The reality is that as a general population, if people have not been exposed to others who are neurodivergent or have disabilities, then it's really easy to find it yourself feeling very awkward. And culturally, I know um, I have heard parents say this to their children, don't stare, don't point, and don't ask. The big one is don't ask. And that that bothers me because I wish people would ask. The people who have been upfront and asked me questions about my son have allowed me to inform them about how to engage with him, how he functions in the world, what's really cool about him. And that just takes away all of the awkwardness. It takes the elephant out of the room. And now they can try to forge a relationship with him because they have a better understanding of him and who he is. But when we don't ask and when we tell our children not to ask, well, you know, we take away that we put a wall there. Like we really take away their ability to understand. And then we start to assume. And when we assume, we fill in the blanks with all kinds of negative stuff that's often very wrong, like very wrong. And then when we fill in the blanks with that negative stuff, now we don't know what to do. We're all awkward and people tend to withdraw. They avoid or withdraw. And that is the general population. And so I would love for you to share with us some tips on how the general population can handle ourselves better so we can then make sure that we are not you know, promulgating or encouraging or enforcing that people who are neurodivergent or have disabilities, that they have to build the bridges between us or mask their own selves so that that we don't have to feel weird. So let's talk about that a little bit. And I know this one's a bit of a touchy subject for a lot of people, but if we don't, if we don't address the elephant in the room, it takes up the whole room. So let's do that. Can you offer us some tips on things that we could we could actually do that would help this situation? Yeah, absolutely. And I saw this mo re most recently um, this weekend on the playground with my son. I have a two and a half year old and he parallel plays, but generally does not play with other children directly yet. So this little girl kept running up to try to engage with him and try to play with him. And he was kind of ignoring her. And so the mother kept coming over and scooping her away so that she wasn't bothering him. But what really needed to happen was a conversation, you know, hi, I'm this person. What's your son's name? What's your name? You know, tell me more about your child. It wasn't that he didn't want to play. It's that he plays differently. Mm -hmm. So, and this goes for, you know, any age, right? It's not that we don't want to engage. It's that we're going to engage differently. And, you know, I think everyone feels uncomfortable around behaviors that they're not used to seeing. Mm -hmm. And especially if they're, you know, larger behaviors, like maybe arm flapping or rocking or spinning. These aren't things that we typically would see. Mm -hmm. And so the first step is exposure, you know, allowing other people to see those behaviors mm -hmm. and allowing it to be present. And then the next step is acceptance. And the only way to accept something is to understand it. Mm -hmm. So you have to have the conversations, you have to talk to your community, you have to be willing to engage with people who are different from you. And, you know, it's really the differences in society that that make things interesting. Absolutely. So I would encourage we all you the same. It would be so boring. It would be right. so boring if we were all the same. So I, I love that. Have those conversations. Now, how would you recommend that those of us who have been told repeatedly, don't stare, don't point and don't ask, how do we get over that? 
introduce yourself, mm-hmm. you know, talk to if it's a support person that's there, if the person is, um, you know, engaging in a lot of behaviors that you don't know how to mm-hmm. engage with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk to a support person if a support person is there, but take the time to really get to know the people in your community. Um, and just reaching out is the first step mm-hmm. that you can take. Yeah. And also educating yourself. So listening to podcasts like Michelle's podcasts and learning about, you know, the differences that exist and um, maybe just considering that if someone in your office seems rude to you, maybe they're not rude. Maybe they're neurodivergent. There are differences out here. I like that shifting up how we think about the situation. And I agree. Um, Certainly, I have always appreciated when people have approached me and I can see that they're nervous and say things like, I have some questions about your son. Would you be okay if I asked you some questions? Sure. Sure, I would. Let's open the door for that conversation because now I've educated this person about my son who usually it's a mom and the playground situation uh, when he was younger. And I know that they're going to go back and they're going to talk to their children about it. And they're going to talk to their spouse about it. Like I met this little boy. I talked to his mom. It was really interesting, right? So now we're spreading positivity. We're spreading this idea that it's possible to have these conversations, to be a part of it. And you're right, not to assume that if somebody seems different or their behavior is different, that this is something we should withdraw from. That I think it's a case of, I mean, it could very well be that it's a neurotypical person who's having a very difficult experience. If we don't ask, we don't know. Um, And if it is someone who is neurodivergent, one of the things that I've found is being clear and direct is really helpful. It's also really hard. So it could be that, you know, I haven't talked to you because I've heard your tone of voice with other people. And I thought, "Mm, I'm not sure what to do with that, which can be a cue to somebody to say, oh, maybe I need to address that in my own life. Right. Or to be like, I was not aware that this has become an issue or that it was preventing you from talking to me Um, and having those conversations or um, making So you were talking about stimming and some of the stimming things. Sometimes they're small, they're little things that people are doing with their hands or shaking their leg. But if it's a big thing in a workplace, it could be a situation of, do you need a space where you can go do this? If it's going to pose, you know, you don't want everybody staring at you and we don't want to all be staring at you. Maybe we can create a space where if you feel like you need to go do that, you can go do that, come back and be a part of the group. And now, now we're sort of taking the ick factor out, the elephant is, is dealt with in the, in the room, um, or being just aware that, that this is okay. I love the things that you said there around that opening the doors for those conversations as awkward as that is for those of us who are not neurodivergent, it's really important. I think to have those conversations because it takes the assuming out And it brings in understanding and education and being educated and being exposed to things. And particularly in the workforce, because obviously the people you are are working with are are often looking at workforce issues and glass ceiling stuff. Like I see the position I want to have. I don't understand how come I can't get there. I don't understand what's stopping or why that person got promoted, but I didn't, I'm not, I'm not seeing the connect with all this. Um, Some of that I think behooves us as a general society to be more open, to be more accepting, to be more understanding and to understand that accommodations don't always have to be gigantic, huge things. Sometimes accommodations are we're sitting in a board meeting and I'm sitting there rubbing my hands and that's okay. We're good with that. (laughs) That's just the way it works around here. And often when things are presented that way, then other people are like, oh, okay, that's what we do here. Got it. And now it's just an accepted piece of what happens in that work environment. But it does take someone to be brave enough 
to have the conversations, to ask the questions. And I'm so glad you said that because it's really important to do that. It's really important to say, what do you need? And how can I help you? How can we work together? And it may be that we got to meet in the middle. There might be some things you need to adjust and there might be some things I need to adjust in order to be successful at working together. But when we do that, it benefits everyone, not just the individual who's neurodivergent or has disabilities, but also the whole work environment. Everybody who's there can benefit from that. And the social spill off from that is huge because, you know, they're going to go home and talk to their families. They're going to talk to their spouse or their significant others or their friends or their neighbor next door. And now this positive information is going to seep its way into the fabric of our society. And that's so important. So thank you. Is there any other tips you might give us? Um, really just learn about differences in people and, you know, reach out and, and have the relationships with the people in your community. Um, get to know your neighbors, get to know the people that you see frequently. Just take a little extra time because relationships really are the foundation of everything in life. Mm -hmm. So inclusion and acceptance um, is a two-way street. And I think really understanding the people that are in your life and the people that are in the world is really beneficial for all of us. I love that. So let's talk a little bit now about your legacy that you are building. You had some really powerful thoughts on what you're doing, why you're doing it, what you hope to see changed. Let's talk a little bit about that. What is the legacy you are living into? Yeah, absolutely. So the reason that I started my business is because I'm very passionate about supporting my community. So my goal is to make my business large enough so that I can either form or support two specific charitable causes. And those are educating neurodivergent, specifically autistic people, um, so that they can obtain meaningful employment mm -hmm. to sustain their lives in whatever facet that may be or capacity. And then my other passion is to either fund or start a charity that prevents global warming um, and takes better care of our planet because this is the only home that we have. Mm -hmm. And I personally don't want to take a rocket ship to live on Mars. That's not an interest of mine. <laughs> So <laughs> I really do want to give back to my community. I'm very passionate about helping um, my community. The entire world is my community. So not just the neurodivergent population, but everyone who lives on this planet. Michelle, you just inspire me so much. I, I love everything that you said there. And again, when we take care of each other and we take care of our planet, Truly, we make a huge difference. And I'm so excited to be able to shine a light on you today and what you do in the world and the amazing things you're putting out there for your own community, but the community at large as well. I think that that change comes one person at a time. It comes one relationship at a time. It comes one smile and connection at a time. And thank you so much for being a part of that and doing your piece to make all that happen. I'm, I'm so inspired by that. And I'm sure our audience will be too. And of course, now that folks, if you're hearing all this and you're thinking to yourself, I have questions that I've never been able to ask or felt comfortable enough to ask before. Michelle's a great person to ask those questions to and to get some really good answers to support you in your own growth, your own development, whether you are neurotypical, maybe you're an employer and you're thinking, gosh, maybe I need to think about this a little bit differently or, or I have an employee and I'm not sure how to have that conversation. That could be a great connect to talk to Michelle. And if you are someone yourself who has autism or maybe suspects you do, if you're a woman who's high functioning, that some of the things that she's saying are really resonating with you, that this could be me and maybe I need to talk to her. This is a great opportunity to do that. Michelle, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. People can reach out to me on my website, which is michellemarkman.com. 
You can email me at michelle at michellemarkman.com. You can call me at 949-791-7883. Find me on social media. I'm on TikTok at ND Coach Inc. I also have a Facebook group called Coaching for Social Anxiety, Neurodiversity Affirming Support Group. So I'm all over the place. Just reach out and you can book a free call and yeah, Absolutely. I'd love to I was talk gonna to you. say that those initial calls are free. And this is a great way to talk to someone who is a safe person to say, I have these questions and I feel awful for having these questions, or I I don't even know how to ask them. I'm afraid that somebody is going to respond badly and I don't know what to do, but I feel like I need answers. Michelle is a great person, a great resource person in your life. And don't we all need that? She can be a part of your network, your people that you can call on for support and guidance and help. So I highly encourage you to reach out to her. She really is this nice off camera as well. (laughs) She's so lovely and she's so open to these conversations that I think it's really worth taking advantage of that opportunity to say, okay, this is me. I've got a question. I would love to get some answers because again, Michelle has alluded to this and stated directly, she really does want to change the world and make it more equal for everybody and safer for everyone, not just people who are neurodivergent or people who are neurotypical. But when we learn better how to work together better and communicate better, it just changes the fabric of everything. So Michelle, I want to thank you so much for giving us the gift of your time and your wise words today. I truly appreciate having you on the call. Oh, thank you, Michelle. It's been such a pleasure to be here. Oh, my pleasure too. I've really enjoyed this. Really got my juices flowing. I'm thinking about a whole lot of things now. So for everyone in the audience, again, uh, this is someone who's making a legacy in her life. She has really decided where she wants to change the world and create better opportunities for everyone. You can too. So remember, we think you are awesome. Go start living your legacy today. Have a good one, everybody. Does the thought of follow-up give you a foul taste? Do you find yourself wondering how you can ever stand out from the crowd but need it to be easy and convenient? With a system like Send Out Cards, you can stay in touch and top of mind with only a few keystrokes. People's inboxes might be full, but their mailboxes are empty. Reach people literally where they live, work, or play, and watch the warm fuzzies go to work for you. See the show notes for a link where you can send your first card on me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.